I'm Shauna. I'm Andrea. And this is Criminal Colorado. Hello. Hi. How are how you? How are you? Oh. <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Good. Just getting used to back in the swing of things since the first of the year. I'm, yeah, I'm not doing well at that right now. <laughs> I know. I keep seeing this thing that I did my seven day trial and now I'd like to return it. Please don't charge my credit card. Right. My seven day trial of 2021. Well, and I still feel like we're in the first week of January and it's the 10th. We're not in the first week anymore. Like, so I feel like I'm, I'm just struggling with the fact that we're even like almost halfway through, like in five days, we'll be halfway through January. You know, and every year, January lasts four months. Yeah. It's just weird. And I decided this year, cause we usually take our um, Christmas tree down like the day, like new year's day or right around there, you know, but we're leaving it up till Valentine's day. <laughs> <laughs> so like it makes me happy and I feel like the whole Christmas season and everything felt like a blur like leading up to yeah. it so I'm I'm reclaiming my time so see yeah. I'm the opposite we put our tree up a week earlier than we usually do we usually put it up the first weekend in um December but we put it up right after Thanksgiving and that's so, what we usually do right after Thanksgiving I you were done Usually it comes down the 26th. Yeah. Although there have been years where we didn't have really anything going Christmas day evening and we yeah. put it down. But this year we waited till the 27th. So. Oh, gave, gave a little extra time. I only one time ever have I taken everything down Christmas day night um, because Grace's birthday is December 26th. So oh. I really wanted to make sure, and she has two grandfathers who have December birthdays. So they're like, oh no, like everybody's going to lump her birthday in with Christmas. And yeah. I was already conscious of that. And then with them too. So I feel like our entire families have really made a conscious effort to, to make them separate events. Yeah. Um, but so that first year, which this is really dumb because she was turning one, like she would care. Um, I stayed up like really late taking all, every Christmas thing down and then decorating for her birthday. Um, and then I wind up having a kid with a December 26th birthday who loves the fact that it's Christmas time and right after Christmas. So she wants all the Christmas stuff like ups, which makes it even that's more so hilarious funny. that I like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, okay. That's good. <laughs> so, That'll work. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, today I have a really old case that uh, the old ones I was gonna say something about it right now but then that's kind of a spoiler so never mind <laughs> but um <laughs> no I so, but I do I love the old ones I do too yeah and um and also some of the um when we post this I'll post like a a clipping from one of the um newspaper articles just because the way they word things too sure. um which I did I didn't include a ton of that 
in here, but going through that, it's kind of funny just to see like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is about the Denver Capitol Hill slugger who was also called the Capitol Hill thug. And I'm going to call him the Capitol Hill slugger. Cause I like it. It sounds, it sounds very baseball. I and, think so too. But like, you know, it's bad if you get two nicknames, right? Yes, for sure. And um, yeah, well, and this, so this happened in Denver, but some of the papers, so this happened in 19, 19- hundred and nineteen oh one but this made national news too so at, at that, that time, time yeah so some of the articles I looked at were obviously from Colorado but it made like news in Los Angeles and stuff okay um, that's surprising yeah I thought so too um so beginning in August 1900 women in Denver Colorado were terrified terrorized by a very unusual serial killer The attacker targeted women walking the streets after dark, many of them going home from church or work. Um, One of them. Okay, well, that answers that. When you said walking after dark, I wasn't sure if they were sex workers, but if they're walking home from church, probably not. Yeah, church and then um, and then work. Um, He did not sexually assault or rob any of them. Really? Yeah. So he snuck up behind them and hit them on the head with a very heavy object, like literally a hit and run. He just hit them really hard and then took off, Um, which is bizarre. Um, So from August, 1900 to February, 1901, there are at least 10 different women in the neighborhood of Capitol Hill in Denver who had been attacked. Um, They do think that there could have been more women attacked by him, but that was kind of a, um, a wild time as far as like muggings and stuff, um, which we'll kind of talk about that also a little bit. Um, Capital or Captain Hamilton Armstrong, chief of detectives in Denver, was in charge That's of the investigation. That is Hamilton such Armstrong, a, like old school name. I mean, it, it's like masculine it totally and like yeah. And it also sounds like Captain Hamilton Armstrong could be like a captain of a ship or a captain of the police or like whatever. Yeah, this is a great so, name. Yeah. And during that time that he was working on it, that's when they came up with the Capitol Hill thug or the Capitol Hill slugger. Um, so we'll introduce you to the victims here. The first, his first victim was August 24th, 1900, Elva Jessup, age 28. She was on her way home from um, attending a service at her synagogue that was close to her house. Um, she was attacked a few doors down from where she lived when a man came out of the dark and hit her in the head with a pipe or a club. Um, she did survive. August 24th, 1900, also. Um, Lillian Bell was 45. And that same night, he, um, she was walking in an alley about two minutes away from where the first attack occurred. And she did die a few days later from her injuries. So that's his first known um, fatality sure september 24th 1900 emma carlson was 23 or is yeah well was either way she's not around (laughs) anymore (laughs) sorry (laughs) carlson worked as a live-in maid and she was walking home also from church in the evening when she heard something behind her um turning she caught a glimpse of the attacker and was hit hard in the forehead by his clever pipe she stumbled to a nearby house where they let her inside and she was able to give them a description before she um, passed out. 
October 5th, 1900, Annie McAtee, age 26, was um, 23 blocks away from the other attacks. So, so far, this is the furthest one away. Um, he struck her as she was walking near her house um, and then attacked attra- the thug, they say in this, the slugger attracted more attention after this crime because Annie's brother, her brother was a wealthy businessman and was outraged. So he um, took his outrage to local newspapers. Before this, the first three attacks went largely unnoticed since it was a time where there were like muggings and assaults um, were really common. Uh, December 22nd, 1900, Mrs. Dewart Young, age unknown, was attacked on a street near her home and she was hit in the head and required medical treatment. July 6th, my computer is like going a little faster than me. July 6th, 1901, Julia Dorr, 46, was walking to a building where she worked as a housekeeper. So she was on her way to work and she was hit in the head and thrown in a pit at a nearby construction site. Whoa. Yeah. And she didn't that die. That escalated. It sure did. Uh, February 16, 1901, Marie Fraser, unknown age. Um, she left a hairdresser's appointment and um, showed up at her parents' house with her face smeared with dirt and blood. And she was kind of coming in and out of consciousness. So I think she just kind of made it to their house, like on autopilot. Um, she couldn't remember where she had been knocked down. Um, also on February 16, 1901, Another attack may have been averted, um, and they just named her as Miss Everett, age 16, was walking home from her job at a dressmaking shop when she noticed a man following her. She stopped to let him pass, and then he stopped also. Um, She walked fast, then ran, and he pursued her. She turned, and he ran down the alley to cut her off, but she ducked into a house where she was taken in by people there. She was able to provide the most detailed description yet, um, and we'll get that at the end of the February 22nd, 1901, in the space of one hour, three women were attacked. Whoa. Um, Mar- uh, yeah, he's like that really makes me starting think of to. Bundy when he was down in Florida, that one evening that he attacked. Yeah, just like a spree. Yeah. Um, so January, or sorry, February 22nd, um, Mary Short was 40. She was found unconscious in a vacant lot and died later of a skull fracture. Uh, February 22nd also. Emma Johnson, age 30, was on her way home from church. Um, She worked as a servant for a doctor who lived nearby, and she managed to stumble to his house. Um, From the three attacks that night, she was the only victim to survive. Um, The last victim that night, Josephine Unternarer, I'm going to say. I tried to practice this name. I don't know. I'm probably butchering it. Age 36 um, was not far from the attack before her and she was hit behind her right ear. She suffered a long gash that required surgery. She was able to describe her attacker who had chased her before catching her. And then she unfortunately died a few days later from her injuries. Um, It seems like he was targeting like upstanding women, right? I mean, they were churchgoers or they were... Yeah, maybe like it was some kind of part of his, like the thrill for him or something, because this is definitely a time where there were a lot of um, women that would be out and, and maybe easier targets. Yeah. Um, and these women also mostly were close to their homes or their jobs 
when he got them too. So it almost seems like maybe that would be like add to the risk for him or the thrill or something. Which makes me wonder if he was like stalking them. Yeah. And they don't say anything. And, and there are like old newspaper articles, but there's not, there's not a ton of information about that stuff. And, and um, the police didn't really do a great job (laughs) as you'll see. (laughs) Um, So three days later, the police went on a huge sweep of the neighborhood where they conducted a mass arrest of laborers, homeless people, boarding house residents, and just about anyone who they deemed to be on the edge of society. Um, They detained many of these men for an extended period of time and without charges. Um, The description of the attacker from Emma Carlson, she said he was a small man with a very pale complexion and Miss Everett, Everest, who escaped a possible attack, described him and said she had seen him again while walking on the street with her sister during the daytime. Um, I don't know why my, sorry, my computer is like skipping ahead when I'm down arrowing. Um, sorry, that's very distracting. <laughs> I know. Um, so a newspaper reporter summarized her description as medium height, very light skin, and a large drooping black mustache. His nose was also quite prominent. Um, and her eyes were blue you and wild. Like he would stand out. <laughs> you would think so. But I don't know. In 1900, I'm like, probably mustaches were like Well, yeah. Everywhere. I mean, not necessarily the mustache thing. But, I mean, two people described him as super pale. I just... Yeah. And, and even having, he like, were, medium to, like, yeah. smaller height. And you would think that people would be able to, like pay attention um he also wore a long gray ulster which is um a coat like think um think like kind of the sherlock holmes coat although they call his something different but it's got the long sleeves and the short cape and it's a long coat sure so that kind of hat or that kind of jacket and then a crush hat um which would just be made of like felt or some material that could be folded um the oh sorry having technical difficulties uh but the capitol hill thug it says in the aspen daily times the police are hot on the trail of of the alleged terror and that was february 21st 1901 um just some of the the headlines cracked me up oh, yeah. uh it says uh josephine also had said that um before she died she had also said that he was medium-sized build with a large black mustache and wore a black crush hat, but that he wore it far back on his head. Um, my computer. Sorry. <laughs> this is driving me crazy. Okay. I'm scrolling down, guys. I'm trying to find where I was. Okay. There was another witness to the attack that night also. And according to one news report, that witness described the attacker as a man in a police uniform. that description was yeah that description was never investigated but also as far as the descriptions that i read about that was the only one that was a one-off to like the ulster jacket the crush hat um so who knows uh so again the first three crimes were largely unnoticed um and there is a question is it because one victim was a maid one died but you know before she could explain anything that happened um but uh in the book 
famous crimes the world forgot by jason morrow he did point out that um that denver at this time really had a ton of muggings and street robberies so it wouldn't have been like a shock to hear about three happening in close proximity i mean i'm sure you know probably happened every day uh let's see and they just thought it was more of the same um according to an editorial in the colorado springs gazette the muggings were a devilment that has run riot in denver from the time the police department transferred from police duties to hurt hurting up dive keepers and inmates who will vote next november for carving out the wishes of the present state and city administration. Um, so there was all kinds of um, like fraud claims and stuff too, like about the, the local government at the time and the police. So they felt like there, there was more to this of them rounding up all these people too, yeah. um, which is kind of weird to like arrest like dozens of people and just keep them in jail for this. <laughs> also <people>? unconstitutional. <laughs> but it just, yeah. it just does not seem legal. It does not pass the yeah. sniff test. Um, let's see. Let's see. Oh. The fourth attack is the one that got everyone's attention, as I mentioned earlier. Anne McAtee was from a well-known family. And her, he got, her brother got newspapers and merchants in Denver um, really riled up. And the family posted a $200 reward which would be a few thousand dollars today um for information leading to the thug um and this is a this is a little newspaper thing police phased denver thug escapes all traps set knocks down three more women with clubber pipe one of his victims died late last summer another one is suffering from cracked skull vigilance committee paraded in women's clothes in vain so they had they had men dressing up as women, like walking the streets to see if they could like entice the Capitol Hill slugger. And it's in vain. It was in vain. I wonder if they, I mean, mustaches so, were so prevalent. Like, were they holding a fan? Probably, probably. <laughs> and I like that it's the vigilance committee. Yeah. Um, so rather than investigating effectively, the police department rounded up um, who they would consider to be the usual suspects. And in October, um, before the attacks continued, Captain Hamilton Armstrong told the newspaper that he had his man. It was Joseph Shackley, who had been arrested in Greeley, Colorado. When asked why he was their suspect, the captain said, Shackley is mentally unbalanced. Um, which, by the way, also, when they came across anybody with, like, mental illness, too, that seemed to automatically make them a suspect. Nice. Yeah. Um, he changed his mind a few weeks later, then deciding it was David Pace on November 22nd. Pace, according to Armstrong, was the, quote, scoundrel who had been guilty of numerous attacks on women. Newspapers reported that Armstrong was very sure that Pace was the thug, though no reasons were given. From January on, the police went through um, a lot of other prime suspects. On January 8th, Armstrong declared that the thug was a man named Mr. Mariusen. Then a robber named George Turner was arrested trying to steal from a woman, both, quote, undoubtedly crazy. Turner was Armstrong's best guess for the thug. And there were others, too. Each time, was, each time somebody was arrested for street robbery, they became his prime suspect. And I keep going back to the thug. I really wanted to call him the slugger. I'm going to go. I'm going back to the slugger. 
Um, the Aspen Tribune newspaper summed up the investigation. Each of Armstrong's suspects, quote, belongs to the great army of men who cannot tell where he was on a certain night and therefore falls under suspicion, end quote. The editorial continued, several times the police have declared that they have at great expense secured some valuable clues. The clues were all they ever secured. They have chased phantoms and pursued shadows and allowed the real criminal to escape with exasperating regularity. Um, and it's the title, apparently. It. Yeah, the title of that article, by the way, is Police of Denver Will Suspect Every Person on Capitol Hill. <laughs> how do you really feel, Aspen Tribune? <laughs> and Aspen, the Aspen Tribune also remarked, it was easier to find a thug than a policeman in Denver in January 1901. I'm sure the police department loved that. I'm sure they did. Uh, let's see. Dozens of people were arrested on February 25th, just after the night of the triple attacks. Captain Armstrong, the chief of detectives, announced that he had swept the neighborhood and would treat each of the men as suspects until they could prove they were not involved. That's not really how it's supposed to work. No. Okay, that seems backward. Yeah. One of the the men... Oh my gosh. One of the men arrested that day was Al Cowan. He was no more a suspect than anyone else the police had rounded up, um, but he was held indefinitely with all of the other suspects. Police sources reported that he had been arrested at his boarding house approximately one mile from the crimes and that he only owned one suit, which would, did not match the witness descriptions and no like Ulster coat or crush hat. Um, the next day, a man named Albert, Albert Frederick came into the police surgeon's clinic to have a dressing changed on a wound while he waited in the doctor's office. Another man was there reading aloud from the paper, reading about um, how there was an additional $500 being added to the reward. So Frederick suddenly announced that he had witnessed one of the attacks and that in fact, he had gotten a close up view of the criminal. What? The coincidence. <laughs> I know. And yeah, you're like, oh, the the money didn't entice you in any way, Frederick, huh? You're, people are being swept up off the street and women are you being know, attacked. I'm sure right. his description was like this. He was wearing a crush hat and an ulster. And right. I remember him being pale with a large mustache. Right. <laughs> Frederick's story was that he was walking near where Mary Short was attacked. He passed a woman on the street and shortly after that heard her exclaim, oh, like laugh. Um, oh, <laughs> Um, sorry, I felt weird reading that like, but, oh. oh, yeah. As he turned, the attacker ran toward him and passed him on the street, brushing his coat against Frederick as he went by. Frederick then became scared and left the scene. Hey, nice, Frederick. Thanks for making sure that Mary Short, um, who died, by the way, was okay. You a jerk. <laughs> um, apparently, that is why he had not gone back to the victim to offer any poor, any um help he said or to report the crime or her injury to anyone he was so chivalrous yeah the doctor asked frederick to relay his story to the police and after questioning him they took frederick to the general lockup so they didn't even really get like a a full description of him that had been like reported in the papers they just take him right in like hey let's look at all these guys and you point to the one and tell me who so they had 15 men line up that had been arrested the day before and Frederick pointed to Al Cowan. Um, 
so, you know, it was decided, oh, that's it. That's him. After being a, yeah. Right. Poor guy. Like, um, which it goes in here later, but he was, um, yeah. Anyway, (laughs) after being identified by Frederick, Cowan was interrogated alone by Captain Armstrong. Um, Armstrong later explained to newspapers that Cowan had been arrested on the street, carrying a revolver, some cartridges, and an iron bar about a foot in length, even though multiple police sources said he had been arrested at his boarding house a mile away. So, mysteriously, like, the story is growing, you know, now that I'm Captain Armstrong. I'm not a Armstrong, fan of Hamilton, what's his name? Hamilton Armstrong. I know, it sounds like he should be such a great guy, and he's really not. <laughs> No, he's just kind of like, I just picture him with like a blindfold on and somebody spins him around like you do with a kid of pinata. And he's like, there it is. That's yeah. the man. Well, and I was picturing any, meeny, miny, mo. Yeah. Yeah. He's not very good at his job. No. <laughs> um, according to Armstrong, which tell me if this isn't like to sensationalize everything. Um, this would also happen during their one-on-one session, right? So nobody could tell. Cowan told him that he hated women and was felt persecuted by them. Um, which, I mean, just adds to the whole thing, right? So Captain Armstrong also said he does not talk coherently and appears to be mentally unbalanced. Um, oh, but he did tell you his- one-on-one se- one on one session? yeah. And he doesn't speak coherently, but, but he just, he just told you like his state of mind that he hates right. women and all well, that. That reminds me of that song in Hamilton where he's like, want to be in the room where it happens. Yeah. It yeah. Happens. <laughs> I know it would be nice if anybody else could have been in the room where this happened. Yeah. Um, and Captain Armstrong is like, plus he fits the general witness description other than the fact that he doesn't have the same clothes and we're not going to talk about the fact that all the other police are saying that we arrested him in his boarding house. But other than that, he is a match. He's 100%. Yeah. Um, So after Armstrong told the newspapers um, that Cowan was the Capitol Hill slugger slash thug, across the country, newspapers ran the headline, hates all of womankind about Al Cowan. Oh, my stars. (laughs) Um, There was also discrepancy about the weapon because so far it had kind of been thought that it was probably more of a wooden club. Um, and he was said to have been found with a metal pipe. Um, numerous residents of Cowan's boarding house also said that he had been at the boarding house at, on the night of the murders. And there was no usable evidence uncovered at the boarding house. Like, you know, no, no clothing of his, like with blood or anything like that. Um, it was 100% him. Yeah. And the chief witness, Frederick, who was, his ears perked up to the $500 additional reward turned out to be a drug addict. Um, yeah, but still chief Armstrong would not be swayed. Um, yeah. Later, a woman named Mrs. EJ Grove came forward as a witness also and said she had seen the attacker. She was taken to see Cowan and agreed that he was the, the Capitol Hill slugger. So they didn't ask her for like, even a lineup or anything like they just took her right to him and by this time his picture had already been printed in all the newspapers too so like we know how that kind of stuff goes you know yeah because eyewitnesses are notoriously unreliable but then yes you get a picture you know circulating and it's like oh yeah those totally looks familiar yep 
totally know he would, he did it. Um, and people don't even, people sometimes do, but they don't even have like bad intentions when they do that. No, they really not, think that not at all, which is why it's so scary. You know, like she could really have thought that she saw him like after seeing his picture in the paper, looking back yeah. and like, Oh my gosh, I think this was that man I saw you know well, back in January. Yeah, I mean I think that they have great intentions I think that that just sticks in your subconscious and you're like oh yeah I've seen yeah. it before well yeah. yeah you have in the newspaper yeah and then yeah and she doesn't even realizing that's that's where she the only place she knows him from right. um and who knows too like in the neighborhood maybe she passed him on the street because he lived in a boarding house not far away you know um well and if, so, like if he really was mentally unstable then you notice those people yeah you know, like when you're downtown at acacia park you know the there are people who are talking to yeah selves or whomever and those are the people you notice right yes well and i don't even think that al cowan necessarily was i think in this case that um captain armstrong said he was because that was a big thing for him is like everybody's like mentally nice. unstable um but also like anybody who was mentally unstable he was like rounding them up too um but i also think that that probably helped him with the discrepancies of what everybody else is saying what happened and then his yeah i don't know it's it's so bizarre and he's a really crappy police officer i'll say it you know what here's the thing <laughs> you messed up your name man you I know it's same ever and then you blow it it's really a shame and they kept Al Cowan in jail for a month before charging him with anything and then they charged him with one of the murders um he was in solitary confinement and lost 20 pounds in that month and during that time additional suspects were arrested <laughs> make up your mind seriously Captain, I know like, you're 100% the guy yeah or it's weird um so calvin brown was one of the other people arrested during that that time and was held in question for three days but then each of them were cleared uh eventually callan al callan was put on trial um just for the murder of mary short that's the one they charged him with however most of the police department's evidence relating to the uh, was relating to the murder of josephine unternauer Sorry, Josephine, I'm messing up your last name. But so they arrest him for the murder of Mary Short. And then they're using most of the evidence that they have, which is from Josephine's murder. Yeah, yeah. roll me that. Yeah, so Poor when the <laughs> I know. Well, luckily, when the prosecution tried to use it, the judge was like, no, that's inadmissible. Like, what are you doing here? Um, so the whole trial was a mess and, um, th for more details of it, you can check out that book, famous crimes, the world forgot. Cause it goes into more detail of the whole circus. That is the trial. Um, they had so little to go on in the prosecution's case and so many doubts that the defense had the upper hand and turned the focus towards the prosecution's chief witness, Frederick as its straw man. Maybe he had committed the murder. Like why is Frederick inserting himself here? So, so they really, and they were like, he's at least a good a suspect as Al, Al Cowan is. Yeah. Um, so no one was convicted. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> so those, so all of those happened between August, 1900 and February, 1901. And then all of this 
craziness happened. And then there was another attack on June 25th, 1901 that fit the profile. Um, 17 year old Celestine Coleman was hit in the head by a man who left a two foot long piece of gas pipe at the crime scene. And on the evening of June 26th, a man named George Griffin tried to attack a woman named Mrs. Keldall. He attempted to flee, was shot and injured by police, and then they captured him. Um, the police brought Griffin to Coleman's hospital bedside. Like, why would you do that? She just got hit in the head and she's 17, like freaked out. Um, she was terrified when she woke up from sleeping to see him. And I'm sure also like um, yeah. they shot him too. Like, so <laughs> I don't even know. Um, so it said she, after she woke up and saw him, she suffered a severe relapse, which I assume to mean like probably freaked out and like passed out or something. Yeah. Um, Griffin, a local newspaper explained is semi-demented. Like there's, they're just calling everybody crazy. Um, and Miss Coleman has failed to identify him as her assailant. Well, either she didn't see her assailant or he really wasn't her assailant. And she was just freaked out because the police have some bleeding shot guy in her like hospital room. Well, oh weird, gosh. right? Yeah. I know. Like, I don't know. Um, if, listen, I know that we didn't have the same police techniques, but common sense. I mean. Yeah. It's, I don't know. So as we talked about, like muggers seem to be everywhere in Denver and having a mental illness um, or dementia seemed to be strong evidence of guilt um, as thought of by the captain, but whoever the Capitol Hill slugger had been, he stopped after, after that last one um, that we just talked about. And they did not continue beyond that summer. And um, then the case was just kind of forgotten about, which must be what happened when the police commission <laughs> decided to name captain Hamilton Armstrong, the next chief of police of Denver. No. No. <laughs> yeah. Is that mind boggling? What in I, the what? Yeah. No. I know. Like, what the heck? Like, he literally, and I, like you said, like, techniques and stuff were, were different, but it's like he literally just did stuff wrong at every turn. And I, I think he, I just kind of get the impression that he really liked, um, of course, to be like, oh, we've got our man, but then to be able to talk to the media about it and stuff. Yeah, he was, and, he was digging the spotlight. Yeah. And um, so this I thought was also interesting and like worth noting. Um, so he had also um, been involved in investigating a 1911 Colorado Springs murder case, which I saw in a um, newspaper archive, but I didn't really get information about like what case that was. Um, but I'm like, so people are calling him in to help on other cases. Like, I don't think he's your guy. No, like, he's not. Yeah. And he's reported to have a loose connection to the infamous 1912 Valeska Axe murder investigation in Valeska, Illinois. Um, you'll probably remember it. There was six family members of the Moore family and two guests were found to have been oh, yeah, bludgeoned to death yeah. in the Moore home. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting because that's obviously not a Colorado crime, but that's a really what the heck were you doing? That's in a really well-known one. Right. And so it just kind of, what I saw was like a brief mention, like he and a, a detective um, traveled to go help. So I kind of wonder, because thinking back a little bit about this case, like it was so sensationalized also. And of course it was heinous, you know, I mean, eight people yeah. were killed by some ax murder, but um, 
but they thought that they saw people like, oh, it's this guy from some other state and oh, this is happening everywhere. And so I, it kind of seemed to me like he took it upon himself for he and this other detective to be like, well, let's go help them out. Cause you know, we're, Cause we're the yeah we're the I, guys. I don't, yeah. So yeah. So that was the Denver Capitol Hill slugger. And um, my sources for this was Famous Crimes, The World Forgot, 10 Vintage True Crime Stories Rescued from Obscurity by Jason Lucky Morrow. Uh, It's on Amazon. Or, and also The Thug Case, How Captain Armstrong Earned a Promotion to Police Chief of Denver, Colorado. And it was a blog on Steam It by Donkey Pong. So whoever you are, thanks, Donkey Pong, for the information. <laughs> Maybe can people put like real names though? So like when I have to say this, I know. <laughs> and you then also really have to say Donkey Pong. I know. And then these are two really cool um, sources also. So um, some of the newspaper articles were from the Los Angeles Herald, but I found them um, through the Center for Bibliographical Studies and Research, which has like newspapers from all over the country like at least going back to 1900 I didn't look further since this one was 1900 but really cool resource and then this one also um this one was the Colorado Historic Newspapers Collection and so that was where they had um the Aspen Daily Times articles so those were two really cool websites if anybody just wants to randomly go down a rabbit hole (laughs) they have like everything in there so crazy that was it i know i know and then for all of that and then for it to be unsolved like like to me it seems like it should have been like it was something that should have been solved it was very solvable yeah well and it probably could have been if they weren't running around like the keystone cops arresting everybody else and yeah yeah, i i mean he's like he's teeny and skinny and he's and really white and he's yeah. pale and a big black black mustache like that seems yeah. like a lot well, to and an ulster coat like i mean i'm obviously no like garment expert from that time or anything but that to me seems like a, a money thing yeah um i don't imagine like these these laborers and homeless people that they're talking about that Ulster coats were plentiful in the Mm. crowd that they were arresting. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I thought that was kind of also weird. I think they, if he was wandering that neighborhood, he had to be able to fit in and the, and the, um, the crimes weren't happening in, you know, no, they weren't a very nice neighborhood. It sounds like. Yeah, because it was if happening they, in the Capitol Hill neighborhood, which stuff. which was really, yeah, because Capitol the Capitol Hill neighborhood it's still very like beautiful neighborhood, but in 1900 it was at the time like a really nice neighborhood still, you know. Yeah. So. So I mean, I would be looking for the opposite of. Yeah. Like. Me what too. Was going for, and yeah. he probably lived there, or or worked there, or lived and worked there. You know, he he could have been a doctor or an accountant, yeah. or well, because who knows. if it was somebody like that who was following these women, 
their alarm bells would have been going off. But if it was somebody who kind of blended, then they're going to be more likely to just sort of, oh, that's just a guy walking down the street. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. So I now I'm curious, though, so I want to look and see if I can if it's if there's anything interesting to tell on um, I'm going to find the 1911 case that he helped on in Colorado Springs because now I'm just curious but uh, yeah. I don't know if it'll it'll be enough to do an episode about but I'd like to see what other incompetent things captain did <laughs> you know you have the coolest name and you just go and mess it up and that's not cool man I know totally wasted on him I know yeah. So I know you have an urgent um, missing person for us. I do. Um, so most of the people in the true crime, I would say community, or, are familiar with um, Sarah Turney. She, I mean, she's amazing. She helped bring down her stepfather actually for the murder and disappearance of her sister. And she did this on her own without much help from the police department. And he was, or he was arrested. I don't think he's been, I don't think he's gone to trial yet because he was just arrested short, a short time ago without a body. Yep. And And years later too. Years later. She's amazing. Yeah, she's like, she's the bomb. And so she posted about this yesterday on TikTok. And so I want to, and this has been kind of a developing story in Colorado, especially the Denver area. We are talking about Whitney Loloff, L-U-L-L-O-F-F. And so if I'm saying that wrong, at least you have the spelling, but she's 16 years old on January 4th of this year. So just a few days ago, she flew from Phoenix to DIA. And according to her family, there was a reason for her to fly here. We don't know why yet, but it was like a planned flight. It was well-known. They are, they said they know for a fact that she didn't run away. But she flew from Phoenix to DIA um, and she was last seen on foot outside the airport. Um, And she hasn't been seen since. There is some well-founded fears that she has been trafficked. Um, She's 5'6", 140 pounds. She has green eyes and blonde hair, although I mean, if she's been picked up, then... Yeah, her hair could be a different color or anything. So the pictures that I found posted um, show a picture of her with dark hair as well. They adjusted it. So I will post that as well. Uh, She was last seen wearing a hoodie and tennis shoes and a gray North Face backpack, which... That does not give much information. Although she was wearing a striped beanie, that's kind of, um, it kind of stands out. And you'll see that in the pictures as well. If you have any information at all, 
please call the Denver Police Department at 720-913-6633 or Detective Brinkers at 720-944-3813 or Detective Kristen Tinsley at 303-784-7810. And um, the part of what we deal with in Colorado is that the I-25 corridor goes so far north and so far south that it's kind of prime trafficking real estate. And so like, yeah. And it doesn't take long to get out of like, even from DIA to get to yeah. Wyoming, to get to Kansas, or you come South, go to New Mexico, like Oklahoma. Yeah. Well, it's just, just a matter of hours at the airport. I mean, she could be yeah. anywhere. So Colorado people definitely keep your eyes open, but I mean, across the whole nation, she could be anywhere now. Um, and, and what a nightmare to be in another state when, I mean, horrible anyway for your kid to go missing, but then for yeah. you to be in another state from where it happened, because it's not like they could just instantly be here and be like driving around looking for her or anything, right. you know? Right. Yeah. Nightmare. Um, so please just keep your eyes out and I don't know, like for all of these, whether you send good thoughts and light or whether you pray, you know, just these, these kiddos could use it. Well, all yeah. the people, but I mean, a lot of times we focus on kids who are missing, but, um, so yeah, but it's, you know, when it pops up on Sarah Turney's page, everybody sort of it lends more credence to the fact that it was an actual crime and not that she ran off with somebody. But yeah. At the time you don't know. I mean, she's 16. Yeah. And it's not like 16s are 16 year olds are known for their brilliant decision making. Yeah. Well, I hope they find her because that is scary Thank not you. knowing. Yeah. So again, her name is Whitney Loloff and I will post all the information for her tomorrow. Well, okay. So the podcast today, today, as you're, as you're hearing this, it'll be posted. Yes. Because I can't keep track of the days. It's January. I never know. I don't either. It could be the 433rd of January. You know, a flourish day. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, well, okay. I think that's all for today. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody. Um, Thank you. Stay paranoid, stay creepy, and stay safe. See you next time. Bye. Or you'll hear us next time, I guess. I <laughs> Bye. Bye.